Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Sergeant Major of the Army retired Dan Daly, and welcome to today's episode of Army Matters. Each year, tens of thousands of soldiers leave the Army, whether it's after one or two terms or even 20 plus years. Some go to school, some go to work, and others pursue the American dream of owning their own business. Today's guest, former Army Captain Kevin Ryan, had that very dream, but wasn't quite sure how to go about it. But a gift from his partner sparked a new hobby, and pretty soon, he started to wonder if he could turn that into a craft brewery. Kevin's going to share with us his story, give us some tips on how to not only put together financing, but also marketing plans, and, well, he'll give us some tips on great beers. Yes, Kevin's the proprietor of Craft Brewery in Savannah, Georgia, and I'm sitting right here with him, with a pint in front of me, of course. And this is the second of a summer series on veteran entrepreneurship. Kevin, welcome to the Soldier Today Show. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. I thought we'd begin, as we always do here on the Soldier Today podcast, by getting to know our guests. Could you share with us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up and Can you share a little bit about your childhood? Sure. Uh, so I was born in Hutchison, Kansas, and uh, raised in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Growing up, I had an entrepreneurial spirit, parents who were supportive, but also put me out there to say, hey, you need to, you want to spend some money, you need to go earn some money. So back in the day when you could put your child out on the street with a t-shirt that had have lawn, will mow on the front and yep. my name and phone number on the back, <laughs> um, that's what I did. In high school, I determined that I wanted to be an engineer and started looking at engineering schools, places I wanted to go and pursue that. But every spring break, my mother would bring me down to the Naval Academy by the ear and tell me I was going to go to that school because she didn't want to pay for college. So I was very much against any type of military academy opportunity during that time. Well, I, as a parent, I can tell you, I was very much against paying for college for my son too, but unfortunately I had to, sir. And that sparks my next question. You decided to become an officer after you just said you didn't want to go to one of those military academies, but you went to West Point. Why? So in going to seeing those engineering schools and going on campus and seeing the student body, the locations, I wasn't very excited about any of those schools and what they had to offer. At the same time, Desert Storm came up and brought a wave of patriotism to America and to me especially. So I started looking at the engineering opportunities at the academies. A big deciding factor with West Point was that it had the largest military percentage of instructors. So I put my application in, got in early, and you know, enjoyed the rest of my senior year in high school. West Point was founded on engineering, part of not only outfitting our army with great officers, but with the forethought of expanding this great nation when it was first founded. You served as a company commander in Iraq. What would you share a little bit about your service in the army and, and what was it like to command in combat? I was with 3rd Brigade 4ID uh, out of Fort Carson. Uh, I'd been there since 
the, the end of December 2000 and finally took command in 2002 of Charlie 112 and 3rd Brigade and deployed as a Bradley company commander. About four months into the deployment, and I think it was June of 03, they decided that things were cooling down and all the people they had held in command for long periods of time, they were going to switch out. And so I had the opportunity to give up command of Charlie 112 and take over command of headquarters, headquarters company 18, Fighting Eagles in June of 2003. And I had this guy who was my first sergeant for a good period of time, who was just an all-star. His name is Dan Daly. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience of having uh, two people at the lead of a company that had a very similar attitude, a very similar level of energy and put soldiers first. Headquarters Company Command was probably the most challenging because of all the different MOSs. When you're an infantry company commander, they're all infantry. Most people are motivated in very similar ways. When you take over a headquarters company, you've got to figure out how do I motivate the mechanics? How do I motivate the medics? How do I motivate the cooks? That was probably the most rewarding experience for me uh, is getting to hone those skills and recognize that everyone is going to be different and be motivated differently to do the same work. I never realized how much pressure I put on myself during that time and caring for the soldiers and making sure we brought everybody home until we crossed back into Kuwait. And all of a sudden I felt about 80 pounds lighter. Yeah. As soon as that last wheel of the Humvee and the last vehicle from, from the battalion rolled across that border, I realized all of the pressure that I had put on myself that I wasn't recognizing it for the last year. Yes, I was uh, Captain Kevin Ryan's first sergeant, and we have been best friends since that day. And something I'm going to dig into here that I know he probably won't want to talk about, but we have to. I begged him to stay in the Army. Sir, you got out of the Army. A lot of us didn't want to see you leave, but we accepted it because we knew that you were headed out for great things in this world. And what did you do immediately following transition? It wasn't an easy decision. I never entered the Army with a plan with a goal of reaching a certain rank or a certain level of promotion, I was in the military because I loved leading troops. And as an infantryman, platoon leader, XO, company commander, I had the most rewarding experience you can have in the military. My original plan was to stay in Colorado Springs and be in, in the Colorado area. So I started networking with individuals in the Colorado Springs area and the Denver area and working to find opportunities that were there. So I got an interview with Booz Allen and they said, hey, we've got an opportunity for you at the Tank and Armament Research Development Command in Warren, Michigan. Uh, I was working for Booz Allen for two months and my father came to Michigan to uh, do some business and to sell his company's services to healthcare company in, in Michigan and asked me to come help him yeah. uh, run his IT department. Uh, I'm a infantryman who just commanded two companies in Iraq. Yeah. What do you I want me to run a IT, IT department yeah. of a healthcare company? And he was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't need the IT expertise. I don't need the healthcare expertise. I need the management, the leadership, yeah. the team building expertise yeah. to make it work. So, Two months after moving into a condo in Warren, Michigan, just installed the last toilet paper roll holder in the bathroom. <laughs> I put it on the market. 
sold it, moved to New York and got to work alongside my father for eight years, traveling around, presenting and selling to different healthcare companies and winning contracts and growing a company from 300 employees to over 1,200 by the time I left. Now, for our listeners out there, I know what you're thinking. I thought this was going to be about beer. Well, I'm telling you what, here it comes. But we had to get that because it's important to know our soldiers. What drives them to become entrepreneurs? So let's dig in, sir. How did the art of brewing beer come into your life? And I believe your partner played a big role in it. Absolutely. So I had worked for my father for eight years, and he died suddenly in uh, September of 2011. I'm sorry to hear that. And I continued to work for the company. My first priority was I need to step up and be the rock and convince and represent to all of our customers that nothing's going to change and that this company is still strong and and healthy. But this helped me realize that as much as I really enjoyed the work and working alongside my father every day for eight years, I was not doing what I was passionate about. And originally, Meredith and I had talked and we were talking about opening up the best craft beer bar in the world. That's big dreams. Big dreams. Big dreams. <laughs> and my appreciation for craft beer was growing. And so how do I share my passion with others is to have all the best craft beer bars and share them with everybody. Pushing 40 at the time, I realized that running a bar, you're open till two, three in the morning. And it's not a an elder person's game. So Meredith came up with the idea of, well, instead of selling everybody else's stuff, why don't you make the stuff that you like and share that with everyone? So um, she went out to the local homebrew shop, bought a kit. The salesperson convinced her that that was all that was needed to start brewing beer. With my engineering background, I really took on to the concept of like, I am creating things, I'm building things. You so, know. so is this the first time you've ever made beer? You just jumped in with a brewing kit? Yep. I never went into the kitchen. I never had a boil over on the kitchen stove. Did everything outside in my courtyard. I joined the local homebrew club. I met several people, went to their homes and brewed with them so I could see what they were doing and how they were doing it. And the true joy of homebrewing is not only making your own beer, but the fact that every time you brew a beer, you're coming up with a new gadget, a new setup. You're constantly building recipes. You're building equipment that will help you be more efficient in process. And so it's just constantly evolving. And then you learn about new beer styles or new ingredients and you, you throw those in there. So really took to it immediately. I'm a home brewer myself, sir. Somebody that's right across the table got me into this and it is an addictive art, but that's what it is. It's an art and it is amazing. And now I have my own home brewery, which is an endless upgrade tasks like anything, but I don't own a brewery. At what point did you say, hey, I'm going to start a big brewery? And, and what were the first steps? I was at the point of saying, everybody's drinking all this beer that I'm making for free. Why not make it and sell it to them? I was still working for my father's company, but working my way out of it. So I needed a job. And what better way to get a job than create your own? Yeah. So did a lot of research, read a lot of books, watched a lot of YouTube videos. Um, I tell people I went to YouTube University and took all the lessons. I made a business plan. I created a, a company. 
I started asking people for money. You know, they always tell you in, in beer, they say, if you're going to start a brewery, it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long as you planned. Yeah. So I planned for twice as long and twice as much, and it still ended up costing twice as much and taking twice as long. <laughs> but another important aspect is that networking. You're always creating relationships. You're always deepening relationships. And so when the time came for me to find investors to get my brewery off the ground, those relationships came home. Yeah, they paid. And folks were more than happy to support me as the individual in whatever I was doing, but also the cause behind service brewing. We'll hear more from Kevin, including his beer of choice, in just a minute. Join AUSA, the Army's premier professional association and host of the largest land power exposition in the United States. AUSA is open to everyone, including all ranks and components. So whether you have a relationship with the U.S. Army or simply want to honor those who serve, you can learn more at AUSA.org join. I know the listeners want us to go forward and hear more about beer, and we're going to get to that, I promise. But many Army veterans contemplate, perhaps even dream of owning a business when we get out. I, I sure did, for one. And before we get into the business side of things, how did you think your Army career prepared you to be a business owner? I'm a true believer that every individual in America should spend some time in the military. Not necessarily the Army, but some time in the military, even 18 months, because yeah. the lessons learned within those first 18 months are invaluable. And then you get to build and develop those skills, project management, team building, leadership, communication, organization, logistics, it's innovation. As you and I experienced in Iraq in 2003 is there wasn't a huge logistical base. We didn't have a lot of established supply chains giving us all the things that they have in country today. And the soldiers made it happen. They were given a mission and they looked around them and picked up all the tools that they could find and put it to use. In the brewery, you've got those same types of challenges. You've got mechanical workings. You've got supply chain challenges and, and the soldiers' innovation helps you get through that. Yeah. I thought running a brewery was just having fun and drinking beer. That's not the case? No, that's what the customers get to do. <laughs> uh, we're in the back. <laughs> We're fixing things, we're brewing things, we're grinding down grain. It is- um, It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's not a walk in the yeah. park. It's a constant development. We talk about big beer and craft beer and the differences in those things, but the skills that are required to make a beer consistently time and time again is very difficult. So you mentioned it earlier, um, and it's something we wanted to focus on for this episode, and Frankly, it's a big challenge for all of our veterans out there. One of the hardest parts of starting a business is raising the capital, the money. How did you go about getting funding for service brewery? You need to go and practice on your friends and family. Get the people that are closest to you that you can trust that will support you and learn through those interactions. You make a plan, you make a pitch, you think you've answered all the questions until you run into that first person who asks you a question you never thought to answer. And that family member or that friend will be more forgiving in that process than a, a stranger that you're trying to get to invest in and trust in you. Majority of my investors are not invested in service brewing because they want to become rich millionaires or billionaires one day. It's because they support the brewery. They support me. 
and they trust that we're going to do the right thing. They're investing in you. And you always have to remember that. One thing that I would recommend is that you go and find the free money first. There's free money? There's free money all over the place. There's grants. There's SBA loans. There's a lot of free or cheap money available, especially to veterans. We've received grants from our city. We've received grants from the Small Business Association in town. We've received grants from the Small Business Association federally. There's state grants. We get all of our unemployment tax back because of where we're located. There's a lot of money out there that people just don't know how to get to. It's always going to be hardest to get that first person to say yes. If you've got grant money and a base of investments set, it's easier for that next person to say, oh, okay, all these people do it too. I got you. Yeah, because most businesses fail due to lack of capital in the first five years. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they don't recognize how long it's going to take you to make money. You have to spend and spend and spend before that first check comes in. Even after I sell my first product, it's going to be 30 days before I get paid. Now, I'd imagine that brewing market is very competitive. Um, we all have seen lots of microbrews fighting for shelf and fridge space all across the country because it's got a big uh, rise up here in the last couple of decades. What have you done to set yourself apart from the others? And what would you say is your competitive advantage? When we opened the brewery in 2014, there were 3,000 breweries in the country. Eight years later, there are over 9,000 craft breweries in the country. So every day there is more competition for shelf space. There's more competition for attention. What we did to set ourselves apart was to focus on our being authentic being who we are, but also the quality. Yeah. You, know, you can't have one without the other. Customers need to be connected to the products that they're buying. Meredith has done a phenomenal job with that. She is the dream team creative marketing director. She sees what people are talking about, where the trends are going, keeps us relevant in the market, but at the same time staying true to who we are. We are a veteran-owned craft brewery. We give back to charities that support our soldiers, our veterans, our first responders. And that's what we will always be. The colors may change. The presentation may change. Do we do a new label that sticks out on the shelf uh, to grab people's attention? But at the end of the day, we're a veteran-owned brewery that's making great beer and giving back to those who gave to their country. I think some of the most valuable lessons in life is to learn from your mistakes. And I sure have. I make quite a bit of them. I still do today and I learn all the time. What's the biggest mistake you made along the way in getting Service Brewery to where it is today? Probably don't have enough time in this podcast to cover all of those mistakes. (laughs) Um, When we put our budget together, we did not allocate nearly enough funds to marketing. Everything I'd read and all the research that I'd done is these craft breweries that came up in the 90s, they just did it organically. It was hey, I'm making great beer on this corner and you're going to love it. And you do. And then you tell your friend and they tell their friend. And it was just guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla marketing with 9,000 breweries in the country doesn't work. You have to have a face. You've got to have an image. You've got to have constant contact. And the attention spans of our customers is going down daily. So um, you've got to be able to give your message in 10 seconds or less and make it stick. Absolutely. And that's probably great advice for, for any product out there, for any business that you want to start, right? I mean, you, you could have the best product, um, the best service in the world, but if nobody knows about it, 
Right. Yeah. People are always asking me, what's your elevator pitch? Well, you don't have the elevator ride anymore. There's just one floor. <laughs> just that's, one floor. The, that's the attention span that you have to work with today. So yeah. um, instead of an elevator pitch, it's more of like, what's your reels pick? What's your TikTok pick? You know, like that's the time you have and that's it because people will move on. Yeah. Now it's time to satisfy our thirsty listeners out there. Let's talk a little bit about the beer itself. Mm. Which of your beers is the most popular? And what's your personal favorite? You know, a brewer will never tell anybody what his favorite beer is because they're all my, my, your favorite. I will. Mine's free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, free beer is your favorite. That's great. Um, so it, it's different. You know, uh, Rally Point Pilsner. Rally Point is a Bohemian-style Pilsner brewed with Perlay and Czech sauce hops. It's very traditional in its brewing process. That has become our most popular and fastest growing. Back when we were starting the brewery, West Coast IPAs, the really bitter palate wrecking beers were the thing. And everybody was battling to see who could get the most bitterness into their beer. And then we were, people were putting uh, marshmallows and Lucky Charms and whatever. They're putting all fried chicken in their beer. And it was <laughs> a race to see who could be the most obscene. Yeah. And now... The craft beer community is developed enough where people are coming back to, you know, I just like a, a beer. Yeah. And that's why our Pilsner, because it's so well-made, our Pilsner is going through the roof. Can't make enough of it right now. And it's called Rally Point. Not only is it a phenomenal beer, but it's got a very true to our mission name. It's exercising its its actual meaning. Yeah. Yeah. People are yeah. rallying around, which is the rally point for us infantry soldiers out there. It's, it's the place we go when something bad happens. Yeah. And imagine <laughs> imagine us sitting around the table trying to figure out how to uh, use the hand and arm signal on a beer can. It didn't work. Didn't we, work. We had yeah. to use the map symbol. But uh, yeah. I was drawing pictures of a guy trying to create a rally point in the woods, but it doesn't translate yeah. onto a label. Now, I was going to have you talk about your entire lineup and your seasonals and your experimentals, but what I want to do is encourage our listeners to go find out about the rest of them. Where can they go, sir? So Service Brewing is located in downtown Savannah, and um, you can buy our beer on the shelves in Georgia, South, and North Carolina. Yeah, I'm a little upset about that. I'm still a D.C. and Pennsylvania native, and I have to drive pretty far to come well, get my uh, favorite beer. There's a great opportunity in June, June 24th, I believe, the Savor Beer Festival. It will be taking place at the Anthem downtown. Yeah. Service Brewing will be there along with many, many other breweries serving up a couple beers paired with food that evening. So it's an opportunity for you in the D.C. area to try some Service Brewing beer. What about the interweb, sir? Where can I check you out on the virtual world? Uh, so uh, Service Brewing everywhere. So it's Service Brewing on Twitter, Service Brewing on Facebook, Service Brewing on Instagram, uh, and our website is servicebrewing.com. So finally, what advice would you give a transitioning service member about starting their own business? Starting your own business can take over your life. You will be working on your business all day and all night, um, and your partner needs to agree to to this plan. <laughs> this lifestyle, right? Uh, it's a lifestyle, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're never you're never off work. You may not be there, but somebody's calling, something's happening, numbers are coming in, emails are coming in, something's breaking, what have you. Kind of like a company commander? Yeah. The biggest challenge for me 
even today is human resources. Yeah. The HR department is just something you don't really get in the military. The military takes care of so many human resource things uh, for you and for the soldiers that you don't get that experience. Budgeting, business plans, technology, creating logos, all of those things you can find partners and build that together. But the human resources part is is so detailed and so specific and there can be many, many pitfalls that you don't even know are out there. Yeah. Would you recommend people get advice on that? I mean, just try not to jump I mean, in. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Having been in the military, I was a very independent individual and I went and wrote my own business plan and based on my research, I put it together. And then once I was complete, I brought it to my local small business uh, advisory council. So, and really it was just a bunch of edits, grammar, spelling, whatever, because I had done so much research in writing it that they didn't have much to, to give back to me. But that's what they're there for. They're there to help you, to guide you, and to coach you into the starting line to the finish line of starting your own business. Would you do it all again? Yeah, absolutely. I'd do it much better the second time. <laughs> like we always do. all those lessons, yeah. Well, Kevin, it was a pleasure to be with you. I'll tell you, I could talk about beer making all day, but one thing's better than beer making, and that's beer drinking. So we got to end this podcast so we can go have some of that great beer. If someone was interested in learning more about service brewing, check us out. It's some really good beer. And if you don't believe me, well, then come down to Savannah and try it yourself. Well, thank you, sir, for taking the time for us today. We know we got to get back to that busy work in the back so people can enjoy good beer out front. All of us here at the Association of the United States Army want to thank Kevin Ryan for sharing his story and his journey to becoming a veteran entrepreneur. Now let's go try that beer. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army day. Hua. <laughs>